The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. This is Future of Business with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP Services. If you're keeping track, this is episode number 11 in the first season of our series. We're going to renew later in the year. And today is Thursday, May 15, 2014. And we are live here on the Business Channel. Today's topic the buzz is change. Ooh, it scares some of you. Some of you just don't even want to deal with it, but we're going to today. So let's get started. It's not the strongest or most intelligent of a species that survives, but the one most adaptable to change. Now, this is often attributed to Charles Darwin, but my little gurus on Wikipedia, etc., tell me that it really is, quote, from Leon Megason, a paraphrase of Darwin, and Megason was an LSU management sociologist. So there for the trivia books, but let's talk about it. Let's think of business as a species too with regard to change. But guess what? Change is happening so fast that if you're in a company, an organization, a business of any size, the traditional ways of managing change are at great risk of creating solutions that are already obsolete the minute they hit the ground. They're not even going to hit it running. They're just going to be old. So we have some big questions looming here. Is the era of big bang change dead? And that's a good one. Are jumping paradigms anticipating that next market shift and early technology adoption happening fast enough to even keep pace, much less stay ahead of change, and this is a tough one, is yesterday's best practice, a phrase everybody loves to use, already today's antiquity, OMG. I have a panel of three experts who are going to dig deep into this topic of process change and help us all figure it out. So first up on the panel, I'm pleased to welcome Sue Passanti at Day and Zimmerman, and Sue sent me the following quote. It's a long one, so bear with me. Sue says, quoting Hal Hambrose, Harold Ambrose, most managers have become resigned to the fact that no amount of training will eliminate all of the problems built into their new systems. The assumption is that extensive training is a basic requirement of any new information technology, a process that will need to be repeated as experienced workers are replaced by new workers who are unfamiliar with the system. Sounds like a fact of life. Supasanti, welcome. How are you? I'm well, Bonnie. Thanks Thank for you for joining me. me. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. And I do know what Day and Zimmerman is, close to my heart, because one of your subsidiaries recruited me for SAP four years ago. So very, very nice to talk to you. So, Sue, this is a long, very pithy quote from Harold Hambrose. Tell us why you, why you picked this quote for our topic of process change today, and, and how does it, what does it mean to you in terms of what we're going to be talking about? Well, I happened to just stumble on it, and, um, you know, in the course of, once again, facilitating process reengineering work here at Day and Zimmerman and change management. And 
the word resigned, like most managers have become resigned, and I saw that um, resignation by business leaders every day that they've just assumed that, you know, no one is ever going to get the software right. Where the change will never be adopted. There'll always be this gap in expected results. And you know, if, if in an environment where large ERP systems have been around for ten years, that resignation is pretty entrenched. And I just started to think, like, there's got to be something else we're missing here. It's not just a, a concept called a process. And I started to hear about a lot of people talk about this buzz around design thinking, which is a completely different way than the traditional, you know, swim lane, process flow diagram engineering uh, concepts that go marry so well with software engineering. And this whole human side of design, not unlike design from a consumer product perspective. And mm -hmm. could that work for uh, process change with big systems? A lot of good points in there, Sue. I know we're going to cover them, and design thinking is, I believe, going to be a very big topic for us all today. So thank you for getting us started. And now let's turn to our second panelist. I'm pleased to welcome Evan Quinn, who has been on radio with us before at Game Changers. He's a research director, information management at EMA. And I have the following quote from Tom DeMarco sent by Evan Quinn. The quote is very simple. You can't control what you can't measure. Evan Quinn, welcome. How are you today? Fine, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me on. Wonderful to have you back. So talk to me. Nice, short, and sweet quote. And what are we measuring? What do we want to control? Well, you know, there, it's a tricky situation we've got. We, we want to move forward with change. There's, there's all sorts of environmental factors, business, climate, compliance, all these different things driving us, plus our own desire for greater profitability and maybe even improved human engineering. But how do you figure all this stuff out and make sure you're actually having positive effect? So it's funny, uh, you know, Tom DeMarco, if you're not familiar with him, he's one of the originals in this whole sort of data flow diagram, structured systems analysis, one of the originals. And it just struck me that, you know, here we are again, the pendulum swinging back to process change using things like design thinking and all kinds of new tools and technologies. And at the end of the day, uh, what good is it all if you can't actually figure it out if you're having a positive effect? So that's why I decided to send that one in. Thank you very much, Evan. Good to hear from you. And hang on, because I'm going to turn my attention to our third panelist. It's Michelle Serrier, the Global Head of Service Innovation for Global Services at SAP. And here is, I believe, an original quote from Michelle. He says, there is no problem, only people. If you still think the customer is king, you're probably falling behind. It's not too late to become a user-first organization. Wow, those are fighting words. Welcome, Michelle Serrier. Comment ça va? How are you today? Bonjour, ça va bien. Um, good, good morning to you from <laughs> the other you. side of the Atlantic. Thank Thanks you very much. Me. So talk, oh, our pleasure. So talk to me. Interesting quote here. If you still think the customer is king, you're probably falling behind. This is an OMG. Talk to me. This is These are fighting words. Go ahead, Michelle. Well, well actually, the first part of the sentence is coming from a CIO um, where I was running a workshop last week uh, who's transforming his business and um, uh, and actually realize that uh, it's really not about problems, but about the, the way you need to um, to deal with with people, be it in the management or the employees you have. 
and that's related um, to me to, to really the fact that we're, we're seeing more and more companies out there where um, services is becoming the, the key differentiators. They're, every company, including an SAP company, is actually trying to reach really the end users because those are going to be the ones that are making the, the calls when it comes to the software they want to use and the way they want to use it. And that's why I, I saw that this, uh, this sentence is quite, um, quite interesting. It's all very interesting. Thank you very much, Michelle. Go it, ahead, continue, please. It refers also to uh, to the to the sentence that you had in the in, that you have in the title, solutions and landmines, mm-hmm. uh, which is somehow the, the the two sides of the same coin. So the the solution to make sure that you're not stepping on the landmine is actually most of the most of the time training the people and taking away the the, um, the fear from the landmine from from the people you have in your in your company by involving them um, early on in the game. As uh, Sue was talking about design thinking, this is exactly the, uh, one of the core, core values of design thinking. Okay, very interesting perspective, Michelle. I'm going to ask you something involving the people. Does this work, this, this approach, and, and we'll be talking with Evan and Sue about this as well, but quick question for you. Does this work in any size company? And the reason I ask Michelle is that we have a vast listenership all over the world in over 100 countries and regions and states and cities, and we're very interested in approaching our topics, especially on this series, Future Business, with the perspective of how will it benefit our listeners anywhere with any geographic footprint in any type of company, any industry, any size company, any maturity level of business. So does that, what we're going to be talking about today applies to everybody, Michelle? Yes, it does. We, uh, yes, absolutely it does. It's a question of management, um, um, the will from the management. Uh, the employees, if you give them the chance, are always uh, wanting to be involved. Um, so as such, it's really something which has to happen top down to make sure that afterwards it goes back, it bounces back bottom up. Okay, thank you very much. And guess what? I have a very tough question for my panelists. This may be the hardest question I'm going to ask you for the entire show. You know what's coming, especially Evan, who's a veteran of SAP Radio. Sue, let's start with you. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking on your break? Or what do you wish you were drinking? Talk to me. Well, I'm one of those boring people that just drink black coffee and always have. But my cup has been with me for many, many, many years. And it's my good luck charm, and it's seen massive amounts of technology change. Uh, my coffee cup was with me when we were, you know, multi-mate word processors and word perfect and all the way up through PCs and, you know, the Big Bang software go-lives. And throughout the time, it's just always had black coffee in it, but um, hopefully it will be around for many more years to come and more changes. Thank you. Sue, what does the mug look like? I want to know what the cup looks like. You're giving me a – I'm not having a picture. I know how important it is, but what does it look like? Quick. It, it's white with a, with a dog head on the front and a smiley face, like from 1978. I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. Vintage is good, my dear. Yeah. Good. Vintage is wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. hope I didn't embarrass you, but it sounds like a mug to be kept. Evan Quinn, what are you drinking today or what do you wish? Well, I'm, I, too, am drinking uh, a, a pretty straightforward sort of uh, latte. Um, but I think what's interesting about this latte is it's an example of uh, change of engineering. Um, and to, you know, Michelle's uh, response to your question a minute ago, yes, it, it has to do with employees, it has to do with management, it has to do with people, all the way down to the individual, much a small business, medium business enterprise. Um, so here we were. My wife was addicted to Starbucks, 
And, you know, she liked the large ones, the ventes, a couple of those a day. She liked Ooh. the lattes that she liked it with the soy milk. Of course, they charge extra for that. So, you know, <laughs> we sat down and we were like, wow, this is, imagine the cost. These are like $5 drinks each time. That's $10 a day times that. that. Well, you, can, every, you can do the math. We discovered that we could invest in a very high-end um, semi-automated automated, um, Jura, I guess it's a um, Swiss, Swiss company, makes a fantastic uh, espresso maker. And, um, you know, at first I was like, oh, honey, it costs $750. She goes, oh, no, we can't afford that. And then I showed them the math, and, uh, and, we, and we changed. So we are actually make, we save money, and it's more convenient, and we have more flexibility. Um, so, you know, this is a, a great latte using uh, Trader Joe beans, Italian roast. That's very nicely done. So there you go. Oh, love the story. Thank you. Regards to your wife. Hope she in town. How many coffees a day is she having now? She's actually cut back a little. I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Thank you, Evan. Now we know Evan Quinn so much better. Michelle Sirier, I won't ask you to top that. But tell us, Michelle, where are you calling from today? I know you're somewhere very far away. And what are you drinking right now? I'm actually next to Heidelberg where SAP sits in Waldorf in my office, and um, SAP has a chance, at least for a European company, that we have very decent coffee in the office. So I had uh, a few of those coffees today, but now I changed um, to tea, actually, because this morning it was a, a sunny day, but now it's, it's, uh, it's cloudy and it, it got cold somehow, so I'm drinking tea. But uh, what, I, what I would love to actually drink is really more a Starbucks coffee. Or, um, what I drink normally is a caramel grande. Oh, sounds delicious. And by the way, the sponsor of our series, David Fowler, Dave Fowler at SAP, says he's drinking hot spice cider because the warm weather took a vacation in Detroit today. And that's been, we had a report that it was so cold yesterday, Dave, from somebody who called in on the radio from Boston that they were back to hot chocolate because it was just almost frigid temperatures. We're still warm, but very, very rainy here on Long Island. And guess what? They don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why. I'm speaking today. Today with Sue Passanti at Day and Zimmerman, Evan Quinn at EMA, Michelle Sirier at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to us live on the Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP. We're going to go away and take a break for about a minute and a half. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Great topic, appropriate for any company, any size, any geography, any maturity. And the formal name of our topic today is the future of process change, solutions, and landmines. Be careful where you step. We'll be right back. Brad out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Here we are. We're going to start our roundtable, a marathon, about 30 minutes nonstop. I hope my panelists have their seatbelts on because we're ready to start with Sue Passante at Day and Zimmerman. Sue, quickly tell me what you do at Day and Zimmerman before we start our discussion. What's your role? Uh, my role is um, helping businesses um, go through process reengineering and um, adoption of new processes that's enabled by um, some fantastic software. Good. That's why you're on the show with us today. Thank you. I want to pick up another quote you sent me to start off our roundtable. So you quoted Peter Drucker, uh, who is often quoted on the show, The Theory of Business from the Harvard Business Review back in 94. Let me read this, and then let's dive in. And if you want to introduce, again, the topic of design thinking, I know our other panelists are eager to talk about that with you. So the quote from Drucker is, business process reengineering techniques held up the promise that if we can get people to work in a deliberate way and use software a certain way, then business results will follow, and that's called doing things right. Yet, despite huge amounts of resources to train them and in change management, most people reinterpret on their own what needs to get done, and they work around or outside the established processors or software because they believe they're doing the right thing. So let's talk about doing the right things, and how does design thinking move in a different direction? Sue, go ahead, please. Well, back when everybody started to get on the process reengineering bandwagon many years ago, we all started with a concept. And the people around the table, the senior managers, the operations folks, you know, we're all struggling with making sure we understand and we have a common understanding of what that process concept is. But when it finally gets applied and you enable it with software and you actually go out and see how things are done, Individual users or employees, people are applying their own discretion to to those items. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean in a highly mechanized manufacturing world, but in service companies. And, Bonnie, you made the point, like all size companies. Mm-hmm. I mean, individual people are applying their own discretion um, to when the software gets done, how they're going to use it. And what happens is when you add, at least from what we've observed, when you add up all that individual discretion, it relates to could be inefficiency, um, you know, um, lack of compliance, um, the cost. You have cost too much to actually execute the process. And so we constantly change, uh, train rather, um, new employees, and there's tremendous energy around training and change management. And the, when I started to hear about this design thinking, it's a completely different mindset on how to approach it. Instead of a process concept per se, you approach the individual employee and ask, like, what are you trying to do? And almost work backwards from that and then try to apply that learning into large um, integrated ways that people work together. Um, it's a it's a very esoteric, different, completely different approach than the very structured engineering side to process reengineering. And I saw it firsthand. I saw uncover issues across um, hundreds of employees that no one in a 
in an ownership role had the visibility to see it because you we, you could observe how the people were actually working and using the software and you know mobile computing um has is shows that in a little bit you know um the usability the ease the convenience of a personal device but what mm -hmm. happens when you want to integrate multiple processes together over large areas it's more complicated than that Good points. Thank you, Sue, for starting off our roundtable. Evan Quinn, want to know what you think about a lot of good points Sue brought up. Please go ahead. Chief, I don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> I, I think w one of the things that we need to consider in this day and age is is the rate of change. And and so some of the older techniques around business process management, um, you know, I, I, they're certainly still useful. Uh, but they need to adapt because the rate of adaptability uh, is just going up and up and up. Um, you know, we, we talk about the Internet of Things. We talk about big data. We hear about all of these things. Great. Uh, fantastic stuff. So what do I do with it all? How do I put it into action? How do I take advantage of it? Um, and and if you, you, you try, I think the key concept here, and it's so simple, is you you're never going to get it right. There is no right. There's right in this, you know, nanosecond. And guess what? In, in another few nanoseconds, it may not work as well. So this sort of, you know, change management, the notion of a people call a life cycle, and, and I think the, the, kind of, the word life cycle um, suggests a kind of closed loop. And I believe design thinking is is really open an, an open loop approach or, or sort of onto an infinity style approach, and uh, you know I think that's why we see tools. Not just the tools are changing, but the thinking uh, needs to change. We, we've had the last couple of years have been sort of the, the era of the data scientist. Everybody's talking about data engineers and mm -hmm. data analysts, and data scientists, and I think what's happened is okay, great, we get we're getting better information. What do we do with it? I think we're the pendulum swinging back to the next generation. Uh, and I think in a few years, you know, we, we, in the, the previous generation were, you know, six sigma black belts. And now we're going to have a new generation of process scientists, process engineers who are using a more open-ended approach, a more you know, long-term approach, and accepting lots of different inputs and, and realizing, dealing with the fact that I'm not going to have the static process. It's the right process. No, that's, that's the old way of doing things. So I think um, something along those lines where we're headed. Thank you, Evan. Uh, Michelle Serrier, I know you have a strong opinion on all of this, so start anywhere you want. We've brought up a lot of concepts. I'll let you approach it any way you want. Please go ahead. <clears throat> so I'll just start with the... There is no right, that's true, but there is, it's also because there is no wrong. And, and they can't, there is no wrong because if we, if we um, try to make sure that actually we involve the users, the people that are going to use the processes, and because tech, technology, it's a lot, it's a lot stronger than, than what we used in the, or what we had in the past, we're basically not limited anymore by technology, and we can do a lot of different things for, uh, for um, a, a portion of the price of what we used to do in the past, so we, we can have, Different, uh, we can have the same process run in different ways for different roles, but this is only something you can, it's not something you can find centrally, not even for a company like SAP, and this is why we're using also design thinking. 
because mm -hmm. actually this is the only way to make sure that actually we don't we we don't invent something which is probably not going to be used but actually um, engage with the customers and not just with the customers but the user at the customer to make sure that um, with their help or actually it's, it's happening through the user we're able to find what they uh, what they want to do and as sue was pointing out um, and, and we, I've, I've run quite a few of those design thinking workshops. It's always fascinating to me. The results are most of the time not what you expected, but they're not be, below what you were expected. The most of they, they are always above what you expected. It's, it's really fascinating as a method, and and um, and there is no wrong because then um, whatever decision you do afterwards based on on those results and the process you're going to implement, you have the buy-in from the users. So it's, uh, it's, um, it's an interesting world we're living in currently. Very uh, much. Go ahead, Sue, please. Yeah, um, I just wanted to comment on, um, on Michelle's comment. I, I've conducted or been part of a number of those workshops, and, and they are fascinating. And, you know, in the classic technology folks trying to interpret what business users say they want, in the traditional software development cycles, you know, there's a lot of frustration. You know, how do you visualize it? How, yep. how does the IT person, you know, make happen what the business person wants? But there's mm -hmm. something about the design thinking approach which takes it almost, it's a very creative, a very personal type of approach. It takes it out of the traditional, you know, rendering in software an idea that Absolutely. it's very innovative and you just short, it seems to shortcut what had been relatively slow and laborious, um, you know, rendering of business requirements, especially in an SAP world, which has a lot of aspects to it that have to get addressed to make an application work. Michelle, I heard you. You want to comment? No, I was, um, I mean, I'm, I, I can only um, agree to what Sue was just saying. What, what, what is interesting also is that design thinking is most of the time when we speak about it, it's actually it, it's, a, it's a methodology. It's also tool sets which are underneath, but it's also transforming the mindset of the people that have been exposed to it. Not everyone has the empathy to afterwards be able to reuse it, but in mm -hmm. any case, it's, it's, I'm going to say to a certain extent it's uh, modifying the DNA of the people that were exposed to uh, design thinking, which is also why when we, um, when we start talking to, uh, to customers about design thinking, most of the time we, uh, the, the people that are the most reluctant before they know what it can do for and to them is actually the, the management because design thinking is not something where you can control the output. Interesting. And, that must be one of, one, of the, right, one of the benefits is that you can't control the output. Is it a surprise? Is it a good thing when you're surprised what comes out? Absolutely, and, and the thing is, it, it remains. So it's not like you need um, like a, a, a grande caramel latte every morning. You don't need a shot every day. <laughs> it's something which remains at least for a while. Sustainable. And, uh, and, That's and, another and, good word. Sustainability. <laughs> Go ahead. Absolutely. Yes. No, but this is the case. It's actually design thinking helps you also to be um, innovative in a in a sustaining manner, and uh, and and changes totally. Also, if you keep using it in the company changes the way um, employees are actually engaged towards the company. You know, the, the cool thing about it is that it starts with the premise that the person who's engaged in this um, exercise knows what they need to get done. 
and and that's counter a lot of times to um, companies that have a very mature process or software engineering discipline because it usually you, you know usually start off with the concept and someone yep. decides ahead of time what that concept's going to be order to cash and yet you know it has to get translated down to the individual employee but this starts with the employee and the assumption that the employee knows what needs to happen and they know pretty much the best way based on their subject matter expertise which turns that whole other way on its head that's why it's so it's so intriguing and why it's so creative and innovative <laughs> Thank you, Sue. And you know what? I'm going to move the conversation in a slightly different direction. I want to look at some notes sent to me by Evan Quinn before the show. Uh, Evan, I want you to lead off on this. Let me read two comments you sent me, and let's see where you want to take it with the rest of the panel. Uh, You're talking about process change. You say, agree on language and the meaning of language or forget about process improvement. That's statement one. Statement two, if you want to see a real revolution in business process. Now, you didn't say evolution. You said revolution. Put a business process protocol on the internet what are we talking about here evan quinn please start this thread for me okay well let's see i maybe we'll start with the latter latter um so mm-hmm. you know i think one of one of we talk about the internet of things and and you know it, it's kind of a crazy concept uh everybody's talking about it I'm not sure how many people are actually doing something with it and i think one of the problems we have um in, in the on the current internet is you know it's a it's a document oriented um, design. So basically, you know, I get on a web page, bam, uh, I get something. Even in terms of uh, my mobile phone, my smartphone, it's really a sort of document oriented design. There's no a way to handle process. So what you know, there's this new thing called uh, that's I think the uh, Object Management Group, which is a uh, an open standards group. Um, omg.org, if anybody's interested, uh, has mm-hmm. started this new thing called the uh, Industrial Internet Consortium. And I think one way to think of it is it's, it's almost like a second set of tracks, potentially. Um, so you might end up having a B2B Internet uh, versus a, a consumer or, or, or personal Internet. And, um, you know, one of the new protocols might be something like business, dealing with business process natively. Um, so I, I think if you want to start talking about change, and, and not in the context necessarily of an organization in terms of design learning, but kind of, you know, at the industry level or the global level, you know, what are some of the big technologies that are going to impact process? Um, it is, you know, potentially something along those lines. So that's kind of one concept. And something I wanted to go back to, I don't want to leave design, uh, design thinking mm-hmm. um, um, completely because, you know, the last couple of phases are implement and learn of, mm-hmm. of the process there. And I want to talk, I just talked a little bit about implement potentially, you know, the future of implement. Uh, but I think learn, there's something going on on the learn side of this, which I think is, is, is Quite interesting. There's a, a little co- company called CoMindware, um, and there's a few other examples of this. One of the things, you know, it's one thing to run a session with, with you know, a sort of creative uh, idea-generating session with people, great. Um, but when they actually are sitting down and doing their jobs, 
Why can't you continue doing that in some way? And one of the things we do not do is we do not expose process to workers. They don't know it's just sort of in the back of their minds. It's in their computers. You know, we are bouncing around. We are providing process all the time, but we don't really see what's going on. We don't know what's going on. We just tend to see the data in the form. Um, and so what Comindware and a few, few other providers are now having little, I don't know, workbenches. They're not really workbenches. They're, they're kind of dashboards where a group of people, um, and that, the notion of group is malleable, uh, can actually see what each, each other are doing in a process, how they're dealing with a customer. And it's, it's not just, you know, like social business or something like that, but you actually can see the flow and understand where you fit in. And you can understand where things might break and you can understand where things might improve and you can actually change and suggest on the fly. So there's, there's the workshop environment, but now there are some new technologies that allow people to change business process to learn in the context of real-time business. I think that's a, another technology that's, that's going to be huge over the next three or four years. Evan, it sounds exciting. It sounds, this is Bonnie, it sounds exciting to me, the involvement and the idea of changing on the fly and seeing things almost in real time or perhaps in right time, as we like to say. Michelle Syria, any comments on what Evan just discussed and introduced for us? <clears throat> Quite a few ones. First of all, I, I learned Please. something, so mm-hmm. I need to look into this. Because actually it could be, if, even if you refer back to design thinking, with design thinking you're, you're actually deciding um, what you want to do, not how you're going to implement it. So once you have implemented it, if we're able really to, um, to have the users work as a, I'm going to use another word, as a tribe um, to a certain extent, and, and really monitor what they do and self-improve the system, then it, then it, really, it, it becomes really interesting and uh, and something which is really appealing, which is to a certain extent what, what my son does when he plays game on the PlayStation, basically, that they work in a tribe and they optimize things mm-hmm. and, and teach to each other and, and make sure that basically you elevate the level of everyone and you optimize the system you're working with. So quite interesting. Okay. Sue Pesante, any, uh, any comments as well on Evan's concept? I uh, actually yes, and and I'd like to go back, Evan, to the comment, the quote about the language part. Um, mm-hmm. th- this particular company or, or tool set helps people see where they fit into the process, or and allow them to change it on the fly. Um, I find the word, the language process, is just so difficult for a lot of people to understand, depending upon how your brain works and. And, you know, I'd be interested to, to hear some comment about how, how the language has to evolve. I mean, even the word design thinking, sometimes folks get confused. They have different concepts of what they think they're going to be experiencing. And we spend an awful lot of time and energy just trying to level set and get a common way to communicate. Um, but, you know, Evan, it would be great to hear you talk a little bit about the language part, which is fascinating for me. Sure, I, and I sort of skipped over that because I wanted to get to the other stuff, but <laughs> so, I, I think when you look, so, so there's um, going, actually going back again to OMG, another, another one of the things they're doing, and, and for those of you who are into business process management, you may know that OMG is the standards body for uh, BPM and 
which is, of course, is the, the sort of the notation, the visualization of business process management. And yes, that's the old way of doing it, but um, I think it's getting better. So anyway, one of the things we're working on are uh, industry-level ontologies. Uh, sounds fancy. Basically, what it means is if you're a bank, say you're an investment bank or a commercial bank or you're in that type of sector, um, what you call things may be different than your partner bank or competitor bank down the street. And the the idea is, you know, I don't know, I don't know about the rest of you, but almost every day I, I cheat, I'm online, and I go to dictionary.com. I go, what are they? And there's, you know, one, two, and three, and it gives the Latin derivative or whatever. Um, nothing exists like that for vertical business or industry-specific business language. And what these, what they, the fancy word is ontology or uh, you know, semantics, um, and what they're trying to do is come up with basically dictionaries for industries. And uh, they've got one called uh, FIBO for financial institutions. I think it's the Financial Institution Business Ontology or something like that. A lot of big, long words. Bottom line is get everybody to use the same language. There's, there's some that say if there had been a standard set of language the words they use to call things, make sure everybody's calling things the same thing, that the uh, 2008 financial debacle might have been controlled much more rapidly and there might have been far less damage uh, if everybody had been able to say, what do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> it's, it's like, a, you know, sort of like getting, getting rid of the translation, getting rid of the latency by you call it one thing, I call it something else. So, you know, beginning to see that in systems, in, um, in the overall language of an industry is what I mean uh, about regarding the language of business process. Thank you, Evan. Sue? You know, that's fascinating. Um, it, I have to believe that within the financial community, people have recognized the need for the common language. And, you know, in my company, you know, we have different lines of business in different industries, and we spend an awful lot of time um, translating back and forth between the industries. And uh, we were very lucky and fortunate over the years to really um, have great results from our ERP, you know, investment. But there were certain things that were institutionalized. These businesses all thought they were different, you know, engineering and staffing and maintenance and modification, and the language was different, the process was different. But it wasn't until we started to peel back the layer um, and take a design thinking approach that there was so much more commonality between them and, you know, level set the the language across them, that we were able to start to envision how to take that ERP investment and take it to a whole new level where you could have mega processes that uh, where as once it was unthinkable that, um, you know, you'd have to stay in your sandbox in your business and, you know, somehow make the technology support multiple businesses at the same time. Um, so that language, I mean, from a change management point of view, we spend so much time trying to just translate between each other. It's it's amazing. 
Sue, thank you. And you know what? I want to take this before we go to break in about five minutes. I want to introduce a very different talking point from Michelle Sirier so we can get to this before we break for the crystal ball round after the break. Michelle, you told me that, and I think this point came up earlier in the conversation. Recently, we started seeing demand from customers in non-traditional process areas like idea management. And you say the use of mobile apps in private life and what we love to call the user experience comes with it. It doesn't need training. It's very eye-appealing. It's intuitive. This radically raised the expectations of people when it comes to da-da-da-da-da, usability and design. And this is the point I want you to talk about, Michelle, and we'll briefly have Evan and Sue chime in. Simplicity is a key driver for process-related changes as it leads to intuitive interactions and reduced training efforts. So let's talk about the word simplicity. Michelle? Okay. <clears throat> well, simplicity is something that um, that uh, that everyone, or actually um, all the all people working together on a project, can can understand. This is to me one of the understanding for simplicity. This is uh, coming back to what Sue or what we were discussing before. This is why design thinking is is um, is, is somehow the rosetta of um, um, helping us to translate the today's hieroglyphs from between IT and business. Um, but putting IT aside and just discussing about what are the business challenges that we actually want to solve. And this is what we, when we started with design thinking outside of SAP, but also inside, we, um, we realized that actually when you, when you start using design thinking, you run a workshop, you're going to get some results and some ideas. You run another one, you're going to get some results and some ideas. And um, throughout those workshops, you're actually not just involving people from IT or not just people from the business, but from different divisions. And the companies with which we worked, and we had the, it, the same effect with us, we, try, we started to realize that actually um, if the, the next level is actually to have sustaining innovation, not just ideas that you're going to have out of a, um, a workshop. And therefore, you, um, we are starting to, uh, to, to, to see a raising demand with our customers to actually put in place idea management processes, which um, in traditional companies and most of the companies we work with are actually more, um, if I take chemicals, it's more going to be on the R&D side. If I take uh, automotive, it's also going to be on that side. But they, most of the time, they don't really tap into all the brains that they have with their employees. And the idea management um, projects we're starting to run at some of the customers is actually making sure that you, uh, you use more than just a division which is doing R&D and which is obviously ha and has to continue developing products. But you can actually develop USPs for your companies, which may come from an employee which is in accounting or human resources or in the auditing and so on. And this only works if you put also a governance in place. And this mm -hmm. is what we're, why we're seeing with those, um, those idea management systems. And this is coupled with, uh, with mobility. They want to be able to do this at any point in time, uh, be it at the Starbucks uh, ordering their coffee or um, in the evening while looking at a, at a movie, and it's a it's a paradigm shift. And with mobility, you can you can involve everyone in your company, and not just um, experts or the the, um, the the expert users we had in the past. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, Sue, I want to give you one minute to respond. Anything pique your interest in what Michelle shared with us? Um, I definitely agree with uh, Michelle about the demand. The expectations have been raised to, to be more simple. I mean, the mobile 
um, interface has just raised the bar. And, it, you know, it started from the consumer product, you know, the phone device in and of itself. Um, the, the thing I think is, is interesting is it's, it is simplicity. Um, when you look at, you know, ERP and, and the complex business software, it's, it's miraculous, the engineering that went into that to flow data and in a way and, and have it all integrated. But people don't work in a structured transactional way, and so it's simple. Well, the demand for simplicity is there, but also for individual discretion, I think. People want to feel they, they're more effective when they have alternate paths so that they can react to the diversity in, in, that they experience in a normal business world. And, and so it's simple plus the ability to make, take divergent paths if you have to. And Evan Quinn, I can give you exactly one minute to respond because we do want to take a break. So, Evan, any thoughts on this? Sure, I can do that. Yeah, I completely agree that for general purpose uh, user experience or work experience, you know, the kind of mobile-first design point um, has, has, is kind of revolutionizing. Uh, you know, it goes back to it doesn't matter what you're using. It looks like something that um, – it was designed for mobile first, so that's that's great. But I, I also think that's a general case. There's some uh, very interesting things happening in more specific um, uh, types of user or work experience. I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, yeah, we all talk about 3D printing. That's that's a big thing in manufacturing, and that's going to completely change the user experience or yep. work experience of manufacturing designers. Um, and fulfillment. Uh, I found it interesting that uh, yesterday, um, one of the, you know, arguably the number one uh, design and engineering tool on the planet for manufacturing, um, which is Autodesk, um, they just open sourced um, their models and their and their code for 3D printing. So you know, I think that's that you know that gets in gets into community development, innovation, and and this sort of industry-specific, unique type of work experience or user experience. Thank you, Evan. Good ending to this part of the show. We're going to take a break, about a minute, not much more. When we come back, I'm going to ask Sue Passante at Day and Zimmerman, Evan Quinn at EMA, and Michelle Serrier at SAP to look ahead to the future. Let's jump six years because we all know hindsight is 2020. Let's go ahead to 2020. I'm going to ask you to talk about the future of the future of process change, solutions and landmines. What would be different? What will have happened and transpired if we met again, the same group, just like we are today, six years from today, what would you be talking about? Will we even talk about process change? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't forget to stay tuned. We have another few minutes left to the show. Predictions are coming up, and these are going to be great. We're talking to you on behalf of SAP Services. This is Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial or anything else. Brad out. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. 
Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Here we are, and our topic today is the future of process change, solutions, and landmines. We've covered a lot of territory here, focusing on design thinking and simplicity and the language of change, and we are ready for our predictions round. But I'm going to ask a special favor to my three panelists, who are Sue Pisanti at Day and Zimmerman, Evan Quinn at EMA, and Michelle Serrier at SAP. I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, include in your predictions who will be the people who will lead process change in the future. In other words, trickle up in the hiring process trickle down management and so we call them line staff maybe millennials who's going to get this and carry the ball or carry the torch to make this change happen supasante you're up first two minutes go i think that we're going to see a convergence of the more creative side of um you know design and envisioning and ideation and innovation as mainstream activity it won't be a special you know, workshop or tool, it'll just be embedded in the most successful um, business IT groups. I don't think we'll see the the skill set of the IT folks and the, the business people who have to, you know, um, articulate, you know, the needs for the new products and software will kind of all merge together. And I think this is right up the alley of our, our younger generation, the millennials. I mean, my daughter is a collaborative social animal. And, um, you know, Michelle talked about tribes. That is absolutely, you see that every day. There's, there's a very close-knit group, and they just support and work with each other. And so it won't be collaboration in a broad sense where we throw a tool out there and hopefully somebody will say something. I think this concept of, you know, dynamic work groups and tribes constantly innovating um, will just be mainstream. And um, it will be fascinating to see companies like SAP, how they're going to, you know, um, move in that direction and, you know, with their terrific software and then being able to, you know, manifest that so people can work most effectively. It's going to change dramatically, I think. Thank you, Sue. And will millennials be a big part of this change, this sea change, do you see? Oh, absolutely. Um, they're the future leaders of the of our companies. I mean, I'm at the, you know, latter end of my career, and when I see the folks coming in, they're just, their thought process is completely different. They didn't grow up with a non-computer, non-PC environment. They don't know anything but that. And they're also more social and more willing to work together, and their acceptance of diversity and divergent opinions mm-hmm. is much more open. 
than my thank generation you very much. anyway. <laughs> thank you, Sue. I, thank you. I think then then mine too. I, I think <laughs> we're. I, I think I preceded yours, but we're in the same position here. Thank you very much, Evan Quinn at EFA. What do you see in the future, Evan? What looks good? Is it blue skies? Is it cloudy skies? What looks good or not for process change? Talk to me. Well, it's funny you mentioned clouds. I'll get to that in a minute. So three mm-hmm. thoughts. Um, so the first thought is if you look at the uh, latest McKinsey report uh, based on a, on a global survey, they call it IT under pressure, um, the pendulum based on their survey has indeed swung back. We've had big data for years, and now there's this the, the number one priority for IT, according to their civic, is improving effectiveness of business process. It wasn't that way last year or the year before. It wasn't number one. It hasn't been number one for several years. So I think, okay, great. We've done all this stuff with big data. Uh, we under, we, we've got better analytics, et cetera. Hey, let's do something with it. And, and the other thing that the survey pointed out was there's a bigger gap. Strangely, IT has fallen further away from what business wants them to do based on the survey. So if that's true, all these things we're talking about today are there to close the gap. Big data has taken years, five, six, seven years. Uh, you know, we've had MPP-based analytics for, for 10 years, and, and companies are still just getting there. So I think the sort of next phase, the next, I don't know what we're going to call it, the next phase of, of business process reengineering needs to have a name, I guess. Um, it's going to take – it's starting again, the pendulum swinging back, and it's going to take – we want a five-year forecast, you know, 2020, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really going to be hitting there. So that's one thought. Another thought, and I think I, I had the opportunity to sit in on a Ray Kurzweil, who's over at Google Now, um, uh, presentation the other day. And it was fascinating. And he had a, a very simple, uh, well, not very simple, nothing he says is that simple. But he, so he talked about the expanding neocortex. So our brains are kind of have been getting bigger for many, many eons now. Um, and now you can look at the smartphone almost as an extension, as your sort of external neocortex. And, you know, you apply Moore's Law, you add five years, and we're going to be doing things. Uh, the interesting thing is the, your smartphone right now is a window into the cloud. It, it isn't perfect, but it, it works. So now all of a sudden we have our brain through our appendage, our brain appendage, you know, the smartphone, which can go into literally, you know, with a click and hopefully with good response time, into this vast world of information and process. And how we're going to take advantage of that, I mean, this is, this to me is, you know, yet again the beginning of another um, major phase in the information age, that we're just at the edge of mm-hmm. understanding how this can change our daily lives in the world. Thank you, Evan. I'm going to move quickly to Michelle Serrier and give him time for his prediction. So, Michelle, you're up. I'll give you a minute and a half. You're down to 90 seconds, so speak vite. Go ahead. <laughs> I will do uh, my best. <coughs> Thank Thanks, you. Bonnie. So um, I, I do believe that by, by there, there are several factors that are playing a role. On one hand, I think IT will have transformed by then in most of the companies independently of their size, um, also by leveraging the cloud, but not just. And, but in any case, by, by leveraging the cloud and by changing the way the skills they have in IT and so on 
with um, um, approaches like design thinking like we discussed, they will be able to focus on what should be the core for IT, which is to drive a meaningful innovation for the businesses they're responsible for. Um, that's one dimension. The second dimension mm -hmm. is actually the future of work because, I mean, independently of what happens inside the companies, um, outside of the companies, there is an ecosystem which is also changing with the millenniums, as we said, or with some statistics which are also saying that if you look at 2020, 2025, we're probably going to have 30, 40% of our the people working for a company which are actually not going to be employees of the company, but rather externals working in projects with us. And this is also going to change the whole way you collaborate and the way you, um, you, you work on projects. And this is driving the then to reuse the word with the tribe. This is basically the way we use projects today and projects teams. We're probably going, given the, the, the generation which is upcoming, they are probably going to turn this into tribes that, that, that have a goal to achieve, are going to leverage processes as they go and then um, achieve those goals. That would be my, my vision. Thank you, Michelle. Your timing is perfect. I have about 20 seconds to end the show here, so let me go to it. We are done with our week at Game Changers Radio. We're going to be back bright and early Monday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific, with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Tuesday, you know what it's coming, HR Trends with Game Changers. That's 9 a.m. Pacific. Wednesday, Coffee Break with Game Changers, the flagship show I started in 2011. Has it really been that long? That's 8 a.m. Pacific, and next Thursday, we'll be right back here with another interesting topic on Future of Business with Game Changers Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific. We're worth getting early for up. Yes. Thank you to Sue Suzanne Passanti at Day and Zimmerman. Pleasure to meet you, Sue. Great information. Thanks for sharing your insights. Same to Evan Quinn. Good to have you back at EMA. And Michelle Sirier at SAP. My pleasure to welcome you for the first time on the radio as well. Shout out to Dave Fowler and Andy Grieg who have been tweeting their fingertips off, capturing the words of wisdom of Sue and Evan and Michelle. Thank you to Malcolm Kimberlin, and thank you to Brad and the Business Channel team here at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You know what's coming, but do it anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you Monday morning with Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. <laughs>